Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. So uh, this was, uh, first of all, it's really nice to be here again. It's been a few years because of what we everyone know. We don't have to talk about it anymore. <laughs> but uh, uh, so uh, I, I'm uh, going to do this like in two parts. You know, Joel said you can talk a little bit about missions and then you can also share what, you know, personal stuff. So I'll start with the mission stuff. And probably, I mean, there's many people here that can do the same, but the second part you cannot do because that's my personal. <laughs> <coughs> well, I, I, I don't know your experience, but this has been my experience when it comes to evangelism or mission uh, over the you know, past. So is that as a church or a community, whatever, we have maybe a week or something like that when the church makes an event and we're supposed to go out. Okay? That's been. And you're supposed to go out and talk to people that don't want to talk about with you and talk to them about things they don't really want to talk about. And it just has felt awkward. I mean, I remember in Malmö, Sweden, where I lived for a number of years, we did a, a week-long mission or evangelism, whatever you want to call it. It's kind of the same thing. And we had prayed and geared up like crazy. And uh, I don't know how many prophetic words there were about the great harvest. And he came. We had one guy that got saved. After that, his name was the great harvest. I mean, all this, I mean, praise God for him, but we nicknamed him the Great Harvest. <laughs> and he knew why. <laughs> but anyway, I think, personally, I, I think that uh, mission starts at your doorstep, or here, with your mouth, or in your heart. You understand? It's really not far away. It's right where we are. So that's my strong and absolute belief, okay? And then, uh, it's a matter of connection. That, that's the way I see You know, when I look upon Jesus, he was sent by his Father to this earth, but not just anywhere. He was sent to a people that were expecting Messiah. He was not sent to India or Sweden or the United States. He came where there was the people of God and they were expecting a Messiah. And then it says about him, as his tradition was, he went to the synagogue because there were people among the people of God that were more interested than others and they would show up at the synagogue. So that's where he went. I mean, he was also outside, but it says we can assume that every Saturday uh, he was at the synagogue. So, it's a matter of connection. You agree? That's what you're looking for. You're looking for connections. And then I think, as a people of God, we should display the goodness of God. 
you know, Romans 2 says that the goodness of God leads to repentance. Hallelujah. And part of that, you know, uh, we have been told by others, like we've been working with people who have been in very tough circumstances, and we have been told, don't give any money. We have just broken that. We, we have given people that have been in need help, financial help. And, of course, you know, there are various kind of, what do, what do you say, various ways of receiving that. But one thing that we have done, and let me tell you brutally now, is that we have bought a lot of good friends with money. And that's what Jesus is teaching. Hello? Yes. Be wise. But the thing is, when you do that, you cannot expect anything back. You have to give, and it's lost. So if you're expecting things back, you're in, you're in slippery ground. But I think generosity is part of doing the goodness of God. And then I think also that mission is about going. And that can mean mentally or physically. I met, a, I met a guy earlier this month. His name is Micah. He lives in Hickory uh, in North Carolina. And when, you know, it was a real highlight just to sit together with him. And he shared from his work how much he, has, he is able to share the kingdom of God and Jesus with people at his workspace. You just need to be a little bit alert. And I think many times we are dull. We don't see or recognize the opportunities that God just throws on us. But he does. So, you know, it might be a good prayer for yourself. Just help me, God, to stay alert in the Holy Spirit. Alert in my mind so that I see what you are putting on the table today. And then you have me. You know, I'm kind of, you know, I have moved in that sense that I have moved away from my comfort zone, away from my culture. That's another valid part as well. And I think for that, you really need a, like a, a really strong call which will help you through tough days. So you would go back to, to uh, Acts 13 when they were sent out, you know, so that there is, you know, you can feel that call from inside or you hear it from someone else and it connects to you. But, you know, if you're going to move or leave the United States or do something extraordinary like that, then I, I, you really need that strong sense in, inside of you so that you can take the tough things that comes. And then uh, whatever you do, even if it's uh, you know, locally or translocally, I would say don't do things alone. Try to uh, find someone to do something with. Even if you do it alone initially, try to bring someone on. 
I mean, the Bible says one beats a thousand, two beats ten. And if you go and read when Paul had been to Athens and then he came down to, comes down to Corinth, it's quite interesting. He came down there alone and uh, he started basically a church next, to, next door to the synagogue and he took the, the main guy with him. That's pretty controversial. You understand? And Sometimes what you're going to do will be controversial. And, uh, but then, you know, his, uh, so he raised up some people locally there, you know, to, to work together with. But then his, his buddies came down, I think, from Berea or Thessaloniki and joined him. So he had a team and they worked. But listen to this. God said to Paul, fear not. You have, I have many people in this city. Why do you think he said, fear not? Was it just like, watch football, do whatever, you know? No, no, no. I think Paul was afraid. So he needed to hear that. And there, you know, you will face at times opposition as well. That's part of the, part of the, part of the deal. So, uh, and then you are, whatever you do, I said to, uh, to I think we talked about it, Stephen, and I said, whatever you, the most thing that you are is that you are a servant. I, I, uh, I think that we need to teach much more servanthood and, and friendship than leadership. You know, it's, uh, he was a servant called to be an apostle. Okay, this is one thing that we say to our friends nowadays uh, because we're dealing with a, a lot of refugees. So we say, hey guys, you're not just refugees. When you come, wherever you come, anywhere in Europe, don't go like this. Don't feel ashamed. Don't look down upon yourself. Okay, you're a refugee, but one of the one of the things that have happened with you is that you have now become ambassador. And an ambassador doesn't come like this. Hello. He does not. He looks you straight into his, the eyes. He knows why he's there. You, you understand? He's someone representing someone. So we, that's what we, we try to bake into the identity of people that we work with. That they are someone. And, and the fact is that the message they have is the best thing that any nation in Europe can get. Really, it's a message of reconciliation. It's an amazing message. All our nations need that message of reconciliation, being reconciled to God, and things start to happen. Do you understand? It's maybe a slow transformation, but transformation of life and even communities is going to happen when that spreads. So that's what we are, you know, trying to ingrain in the people that we are working with. And we are, whoever is, you know, all of us in here, we are 
ambassadors. Think of this. There was a, in the song, reckless love. What do you think when you think of reckless love? You know, I am thinking like this. My goodness, God has taken his abode in me. That's reckless love. You understand? He takes the risk of being identified with this crazy man up here. You know, I could scandalize him all over. Do, 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 do you understand? He ta- that's, to me, that's reckless love. And I say, I say to our people that we were, you can come no closer to God than what you are. Because God lives in us through the Holy Spirit. Paul says, Jesus is in me as well. You can use Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Whatever. You know, it's God in us. I, I, you know, sometimes I freak out when I think about that. It's amazing. We are a connection point between heaven and earth. The thing that you can become is more aware of he who dwells in you. That is something that you can grow in. An awareness of him. Another thing is language. If you're going to do Mission, I would also say there's something about language. Let me just tell you what I mean by that, because it's not, it's, I'm not talking about going to learn Spanish or something like that now. What I'm talking about is finding out where you are, okay? It took us a little time, but you know, living, having lived in Greece, we, we soon find out that if you ask anyone, do you want to become a Christian or you need to get saved? It was an absolute no-no. It went nowhere. Why? People believe in God, and as soon as they say, you, you need to become a Christian, oh, I'm an Orthodox. Fin, finito. Goodbye. So we learned, you know, what you need to ask is, do you believe in God? People generally would say yes. Do you have any connection, any contact with the God that you believe in? And then things unfolds. In Sweden, it's interesting. You know, if you ask people today in Sweden if they believe in God, 2.1% would say yes. That's how secularized our country has become. If you ask Swedish people if they believe in a higher power, 89% will say yes. That means you need to change your language. Also, we cannot come with Christian lingo. Do, do, do you understand? I mean, uh, whatever, you know, there's a lot of things that we do without even thinking about it. But when you're out there, you know, with people, it, it's a different world in here. One of the things that's on here, it says family on mission. You know, we talked with our people about being a family. Finally, we had to drop that word family because it was too offensive. You know why? Because the way we, as Westerners, do family does not commute 
with the way that our Eastern friends do family. We are hardly friends. If you, you know, you, you I mean, family is much more uh, intense in the Eastern mind and way of living than it is for us. So we, 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 we say now we are the family of God big time like that. But then we have to explore the other thing. <laughs> One more thing is attitude. And uh, this is my belief. And that is that everyone is a child of God. Everyone on the face of the earth is created into the image of God. Everyone, therefore, deserves to be loved. I don't care if they're Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, or whatever. Materialists, Americans. Everyone deserves to be... No, but, I, you know, this is, this is, I think this is important. You know, because we, you know, we, we are, you know, in, in a special, you know, within that, there is, you know, us who belong in a closer sense to, to, to be called the people of God. But everyone deserves to be loved. So that's an attitude I think it's necessary if we're going to be successful in missions, is to respect people, to love on them, whether they like you or not. And I have... Age. You know, God spoke to me 1973 in... uh, in the spring, and he said, your main work will be outside of Sweden. 1995, we moved to Macedonia, and after a few months, God says, said, this is it. 22 years later. In the beginning, I was 20, and now I'm 42. <laughs> Not now, but at that time. I'm a good-looking 42. <laughs> well, you know, so, so, you know, it's like this. And we think that just the young people should or can go. But, you know, age is not a hindrance. And it's not, you know, when I was 42 and came out, to Macedonia, we, had, we met other missionaries. What I was thinking, you know, many people, they start to plan for landing and we took off. Uh, and uh, it was not a bad time to go because you have learned enough about yourself to know I'm good at that and I'm not good at that and I'm fine with this. I don't try to compete with others or anything and feel, you know, how do I say, unsecure because... I don't do certain things that well. So it's not bad to have somewhat, you know, to be older. So if God calls you to do, you know, to move away like he did with me, has done with me, you know, it's, and it doesn't happen immediately, don't just throw it away. 
Do, do, you know, you, and prepare yourself by just serving where you are as if you would stay there for the rest of your life. That, that's, that's the, I think, that's what I have done. And you need some cu cultural sensitivity if you go outside of your own culture. But cultural sensitivity, you learn. You, you know, you have to be yourself and be willing to learn. That's it. I think it, you, you cannot transform yourself into a different cultural person. That, that it, it's, you would violate things and you, you would look stupid. <laughs> do, do you understand? I mean, absolutely. But if you... But, but you need to find that sensitivity. And finally, when you're dealing with people and you're leading people to the Lord, don't become God in their lives. You, you know, I would say that my faith in God has grown over the last years when we have seen so many people come to the Lord. And I see God at work whether I'm there or not. And that's pretty encouraging. And it takes, you know, I mean, of course, you carry certain responsibility. But it's a fine line, this. Do, do you understand? When, not to overdo your own activity in people's life, but let the Holy Spirit do his work. A, a guy came to Jonas, and he said, Jonas, I got a serious problem. So, you know, defense mechanisms up. Yeah. So what is it? Well, you know, I don't know, but I can't lie anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> so, but that's a work of the Holy Spirit. A guy came to me, and, and he was telling how, how, about how he was fighting. Every day he was fighting in the camps where he were. With, with he is Kurd and there were Arabs there, so they were fighting. And then he comes to me and he says, Now they, you know, I, I cannot fight anymore. And they're insulting me. And this guy came just yesterday, that was the day before his back, and you know, really picked the fight with me. And I told him, Okay, hit me here then. And when you've done that, you can hit me on the other place. So I said, Where did you read that? What do you mean, read? So, so I showed him, and he almost fell over, you know. That, that was Jesus' message. Okay? So that was the things that you could share, and you could share. You, could, you understand? Now I'm going to go to a little bit more personal stuff. Is that okay? So how much time have I, do we have left, Joel, to be? I'm not going to... 15 minutes? Okay, good. So, I, I, you know, uh, since last time I was here, we have really connected with some people in the Middle East, and I'm, I'm personally working with a couple of guys. And uh, so I'm going to give you a little bit uh, statistics from there. So we have been influenced by them in the way that we do work. And I will tell that. But in the Middle East... We have a full-blown church planting movement. And there is around 160 church planting movements on the face of the earth today. And we are involved with one of them. So this is from September of 2021. It has more than doubled since then. 
just for, just to, for you to understand. So I'm talking now about, not talking about people, I'm talking about groups. They are between 20, 10 to 20 in each group. So in Egypt, in September of 21, it was 13,397 groups. In Sudan, 1,813. Yemen, 124. Kuwait, 76. United Arab Emirates, 63. Bahrain, uh, 57. Jordan, 1,208. Iraq, 766. Iran, 2,930. Lebanon, 2,350. Syria, 1807. Uh, at that time, 24,000. Uh, 591 group. There's somewhere between 50 and 60,000 groups today. So it's, uh, you know, that word about the motherlands giving birth again. I'm, th you know, this could really, you know, happen. And uh, for me personally, uh, I was uh, 2019 in, uh, in September because this word was spoken to me years ago. And, and praying over it, I have prayed that, you know, things would happen in this region of the world that this region could not contain, okay? You don't know how that's going to look, but the Lord spoke to me and said, you're right in the middle of it. And we were dealing with all these people coming as refugees, but seeing so many of them come to the Lord. We started out by doing, you know, humanitarian work, that in 2015 and 16, and you, I think you were there 2016, and by the end of the summer of 2016, we had our first four come in, and they, it's tr it trickled in 2016 and 2017. Then in uh, <coughs> January of 2018, God did like this. He just dumped a work in our lap. Yeah, but he he dumped it like that. So uh, he has, and that is he gave us uh, one man of peace initially. That became later on another man. So we in, initially we only had two men of peace: one Iranian and one Syrian, and they opened up. You know. Uh, societies to us or communities to us. So this guy Arsalan, you know, we met him and then by the end of March we had baptized maybe 25, 30 Iranians. Sevdar, a Kurdish guy, we met. Two months later we had baptized around 30. Then it's gone on like that. It's just rolled on. And it's still rolling on. I mean, Sevdar is going, I have so many families we need to go and visit now in Germany. Okay? So it's just moving on. And it's not me or, you know, who is doing the work spreading it. It's our Syrian and Iranian friends. It goes by word of mouth. And over these last years, it's hard to know exactly, but I think we're probably up to somewhere between six and 700 people that we have baptized. And you need to know that we have not asked a single soul to become a follower of Jesus. We haven't prayed any prayers of salvation with anyone. 
how does that work? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's just, you know, we, just for you to, you know, so we have this guy, Daud is his name. He lives in Bernigerode in Germany. Okay, so we go to see him, and he was not a believer. He's an old friend of Sedar. Okay, Gunilla and I went to see them another time, and we went there again. So we've been there three times. Now, he's calling Sevdar. He says, Sevdar, you need to come here because I have like 15 families in Hanover that all wants to meet you and know about Jesus. You know, when I meet, when I meet Daoud next time, I'm, I will treat him as a brother. Do you understand? I'm not going to ask him if he has become a follower of Jesus or not. I'm just going to treat him as one of us. But so it's, uh, and he will tell, he will tell. And the way they tell is that I want to be baptized. That's, that's their way of saying, I want to follow Jesus. Usually what we have done is that uh, we have, uh, when we meet people, they have absolutely no knowledge. The, the, one of the fascinating questions I have heard from a number of Muslims are, you know, Jesus is born of a virgin. Everyone knows. They believe that. But then Jesus came out of the armpit. <laughs> and I'm thinking, so they ask me, is that true? You know, is, you know, because that's the common knowledge. I said, you know, there's nothing written about that. And I think if that had happened, it would have been recorded. Because, <laughs> because that, that would have been just as extraordinary as a virgin getting pregnant. You, you, you understand? I mean, it's... Uh, so, uh, so, you know... So we, we do some information in the beginning. What we usually do is that we do... A little talk about Trinity, very simple, just to explain. And then we, we inform about how to become a follower of Jesus, being how you get born again. So we, and then we leave it with that. And then we start to do what we call discovery Bible study. And it takes two to three weeks, and people come to us and want to be baptized. So that's uh, what's been going on. I'll, I'll tell you just a couple of stories and I'll finish with that. Is that okay? Great. So this is uh, from Yemen. Uh, I, I, to me, it's a pretty awesome story. Okay? So there's a lady. She uh, gets pregnant and delivers a baby. And the baby is a girl. Resulting in her husband divorcing her because we don't need girls, we need boys here. Okay? So she was dumped. Later on, I don't know exactly the time frame here, but she became a follower of Jesus and because of that she ended up in prison. And she went to prison and had her child with her in the prison. No, no one else could take care of it. So. So, and in the prison, there was a warden that was feared and hated because she was brutal and mean and everything. And uh, uh, 
this prisoner became friends with this warden. Later on, she was you know, released from prison, and then the warden got pregnant, delivered a baby, and it was a girl. And she was dumped from her husband as well. And then she starts to think about this lady in the prison. How, how happy and optimistic and positive and everything that she was. She, and she was in the same situation, even a worse situation than that, because she was in miserable circumstances. And uh, so she found out, finds out where she's living and contacts her. And they end up sharing an apartment, but the warden became a believer as well. And I said 124. There's around three, four hundred groups in Yemen now. And uh, it comes from those two ladies. They're in the foundation of a, you know, something like that. Uh, You know, that's around 10 people. We say 10 people in every group, say 300, that's 3,000 people. For Yemen, that's mega. If you know anything about Yemen, then you understand that's mega. The warden has had to leave Yemen. She lives in Egypt now because she would have been dead otherwise. So that's one story. And then another one, we were, had to rescue a whole group of refugees from a camp in Greece. And we eventually, through some kind of, got them into uh, a, uh, another camp down in Athens where there were only Kurds. What happened was that a whole group of them that were meeting us outside of the camp, uh, and uh, we did Bible, they were attacked by, by uh, other people in the camp. And there was fights, you know, some knifings and things like that. So we had to take them out. And uh, then, you know, there was between some of them, there became a, a clash. Uh, uh, and, uh, and then, it, it, you know, Sevdar was one of those that helped them getting out. But a number of the people then thought that he received millions from us and just kept it to himself, <laughs> which was not a true. So we tried to, we went down to meet those people in Athens and then we came back and I went to Sevdar and I said, we need to go down there together to try to sort this out. And Sevdar says, okay, you know, he was very hesitant. When he heard about this, he got very angry. So, fine, you know, I talked him in to going, joining us to go down and talk. Okay, he says, I will do that. But when I come back at home, then I'm going to do it my way, meaning blood feud. So, so uh, you know, we're sitting there, and then I thought, let's read Romans 12 together. <laughs> and I didn't even think, but, you know, from, from verse 9 in Romans 12, that's a pretty strong. And you should have seen, it was like this guy, Sevdar, he almost fell over when he was sitting on, the, on his chair because he just killed blood feud. It's a, because what it says is, don't, you know, revenge, don't avenge, is that what you say? Yeah. But let that to God. And blood feud is all about avenge. And I'm sitting in the living room there with, with Sevdar and his wife's brother. And his wife's brother, 
you know, he was supportive of the blood feud. So I said, why? Yeah, because that's the way you do it. Yeah, I know you had one. How long did it take to solve that one? 30 years. And some dead people. And you had to hide in the mountains for seven years. Is that what you want? I mean, but you see, you know, the word of God, when it comes, when it hits people, when people listen, when the Holy Spirit, you know, does something in your, with that word, it can transform, you know, pretty tough situations. So that's where we, our, our work has now moved on because Greece has been a transit country for everyone. So now we are working in the cent central U Europe. We still have cup two couples back in Greece and they're doing work there. But it's not much uh, going on at the moment. There are not many refugees coming, and those that are coming, they're just passing through very fast. The smuggler route is very oiled these days. They would stay maximum one or two days in Greece, and they're in apartments and not seen. And, uh, but people have moved on, and predominantly they are in Germany. But we are also in France, Holland, Belgium, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Austria and England, but all the central parts of Europe is not now our working area. So my wife, last year I traveled a lot up in central Europe, and now we have actually relocated to just outside of Munich. And can you believe it? This is pretty cool. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, what would be your favorite place in Europe to live? I would say southern Germany, and that's where we are now. And after 27 years, I am now 15 minutes walking distance away from my oldest son and his family. Oh, that's so that, you know, that's the goodness of God yeah. in the midst of this. Okay, we have a lot of work to do, so you can pray for us, and uh, I will give you some, but you can also pray for some of our guys that they now receive asylum in Germany and France. Okay. Uh, there was a guy coming up to me, your son says, when would you need us back? I'm not sure I need you, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to have an altar call or anything here. <laughs> Seriously. Well, you know, if I would say if God calls you to mission in the sense where I am, chew on it. Don't make emotional responses. You know, Steve said to me that someone had called him and said, that was a life-changing experience. Someone, and, and uh, you know, I thought, this, that's not a life-changing experience unless you do something about it. Just to, you know, come and say, you know, I, have a, I, had a, I was listening and I had a life-changing experience. Well, life changes when you do something. It's not just an emotional kick. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, I think that's it.